Exodus chapter 20, and then let us read together the answers of questions 101 and 102, that's found on page 51, the back of the blue Psalter hymnal. That's that's not right. (laughs) Question 103. Uh, That's page 52. You thought I was going to preach a sermon on oaths and vows again. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is God's word given to his people for our good. Please give your attention to his reading. Just the three verses, 8 through 11, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son or daughter, your manservant or maidservant, your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The grass withers. The flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Question 103 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Let us read the answer together as we consider the fourth commandment this evening. What is God's will for us in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that, especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit. And so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. Back when the National Football League was just starting to be formed and Organized, there was a lot of disagreement about when to play the games. The worry was that the religiously committed people in America would never go with the idea of a sports league that primarily functioned on what was still considered by most to be a day belonging to God. Well, you don't need to be a history expert to see how this one turned out. Not only did football win the day, if I may use a turn of phrase, but it won the day so profoundly that now not only does football begin around the middle of the day, but football pregame shows begin as early as 8 o'clock a.m. People start getting notifications on their phone for their fantasy team as early as 6 a.m. Who's in the lineup for that day? Generally, what we would consider 
The more conservative parts of our country are those which take the biggest interest in football. The point is that there is often little attention paid to the fourth commandment, the commandment that we are considering tonight. People generally go about their business not seeing or perhaps refusing to see what God has declared to be true about his world, that there is to be a pattern to which we must conform our lives, a pattern of life. We are to conform our lives to this pattern not because God enjoys giving arbitrary commands, but because until we as human beings attain to the eternal life which God has laid up for us, which God has promised to us, until that day we need intentional and organized and prolonged rest from what we do on most other days. In short, the Sabbath is for our good. And the Sabbath rest, which God gives to us for our good, is not only physical, but it's mental and spiritual and emotional. This is God's will for us, not so that our weeks can be nice and and orderly, but as a way to rest in that which is eternally true, that which is most beneficial for us in this life, the eternal truth of God and his kingdom. In the Reformed tradition, this has a long and a storied history. Sabbath observance, Sunday practices. Most people who grew up in the earlier parts of the last century will tell you that they remember all kinds of little rules about Sunday that would seem odd to most people now. No friends coming over, no TV, no board games. Rules that seem peculiarly ingenious now, like mandatory naps. Man, if we could recover some of that, that would be great. It's something that is, uh, if it's something that's only springing forth out of tradition, though, it is of no help to us. Something that is pure tradition would be of no actual spiritual help. What we must remember and cherish is that this is God's will for us. This is how God wants us to live. And it is the gift of a day. It's the gift of a day. It's a a day that God gives to us. A day that we would spend with him in worship and prayer and reflection and rest. To understand that without this day, we will suffer greatly. In our spiritual lives. This passage in Exodus teaches us that we are to keep the Sabbath because, as God's people, we are to reflect His character by following the pattern which He lays down for us in His Word. That pattern which He laid down for us when He created the world. And since we find that we are unable to give ourselves the rest and the refreshing that we need, right? We can't do it ourselves, we we can't recreate the energy that we need. God gives us this beautiful gift of one day in seven to allow him to work in us. That's what we're doing, withdrawing from our work that God may work in us. So the call upon us tonight is fairly simple, to enjoy this beautiful gift. Enjoy this beautiful gift. As we look at Exodus, we see that God calls us to remember the holy day. Remember the holy day. The first word there is remember. It begins with this command. Remember, my friend said this week, why do I need to worship God each and every week, week by week? Why do I need to do that continuously? 
And he said, because I have God amnesia. I don't think that's a real term. What he was saying was, I forget what God has done for me. I forget what, who he is and, and how he has called me to live. So, boys and girls, if I were to come up to you and ask you to outline for me all of the things that you learned in math class or in history class last year, you would probably not be able to tell me every single thing that you learned, would you? If you want to experience something even scarier, go and ask your parents to explain to you uh, their, uh, your algebra or geometry lesson sometime next week. Open one of your textbooks and say, hey mom, hey dad, can you explain this to me? The point is, is that human beings are forgetful people, aren't they? And how true it is if, uh, that we forget day after day after day. It would be easy to let the Lord's Day slip into becoming like every other day, wouldn't it? If we didn't have the command of God to remember the day. For when we wake up on Sunday, there is not something in the air that necessarily tells us that it is a Sunday. In many ways, it goes on just like all the rest of the days. And so we need God's word to tell us to set apart that day. It's also interesting that if it were not for God's word, we wouldn't even know about the concept of a week, would we? God says that the sun and moon and stars, he gives that we would know days and months and seasons and years, right? A day is fairly obvious, sunrise, sunset. A month is fairly obvious, follow the moon, the cycles of the moon. A year has been figured out by many people, different civilizations all throughout history, follow the patterns of the sun, But the week is something that belongs to God's revealed word. God had to declare to us that life is to be ordered around this seven-day week. And so God calls us, commands us, to remember it. Remember it. We are to remember that it is holy. We are to remember that it is holy. It is holy because God blessed it with his own way of creating the world. Verse 11 in Exodus tells us that God blessed the Sabbath day. He blessed it. And in fact, all of verse 11 is a bit jolting, is it not? It begins with a for. It's a grounding statement. It establishes something. For instance, God could say something like, Believe what I say, for I am a God who does not lie. That's the way that the Sabbath command comes to us. It's a grounded command. We are called to remember the Sabbath day and its holiness because of what God has done in creation. He worked for six days and he set apart the seventh. The word holiness means many things. Think about holiness as as purity, as majesty, all of those things. But here the word holiness means set apart, something that is set apart from everything else. The day, the Sabbath day, was not set apart at Mount Sinai. It was before that, wasn't it? Look at the commandment. For in six six days God made the heavens and the earth, even from Genesis 1. There what we read God was doing. This day was set apart. If we believe that Genesis 1 is true, which I should hope that we do, and as long as I have the privilege of preaching in this pulpit, we will teach that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, He created the world out of nothing, and in that week of creation, God set about each morning working for six days, and then he rested. 
The question is, why did God do that, and what are we to do about it? The first answer to that question, why did God do it that way, was that um, he was laying down a pattern for us because we are created in his image. The image of God is a fascinating subject. We don't have time to honor that tonight, give that the proper time it would deserve with an extensive study. But when we, what we can say is that God was calling us to reflect his character in our lives. We were called to be little representations of God. And one of the specific ways in which we were to reflect God is in the way that he was ruling over creation. We see in Genesis 1, he was like a king who ruled over the world. What we mean is this. Genesis 1 is a pattern for us, a six-in-one pattern. We are to follow the pattern that God gives us from the creation of the world, working six days and resting one day. Just as God set apart one day in creation, so we are to set apart one day for rest. The other six days of the week, what do we do? We wake up in order to do the things that we need to do so that we can get through this life, so that we can provide, so that we can make advancements in our jobs, so that we can create things that we're passionate about. And this does not mean that we never think of God on these days, Monday through Saturday. It means that we go to do uh, the things which God has given us to do while here on earth. The other six days we set about to work. But this day is set apart so that God can work in us. The truth is, humanly speaking, I think we all know this, is that we need rest. In the creation account, we read that God rested. Other places in scripture, we read that when God rested, he was refreshed. Now, what about that? What about God being refreshed when he rested? Does God get tired? Does he need to sit down and take a break every now and then because his energy is low? No, of course not. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need rest. He was doing it to show us the way that he wants us to live. Because this is something that our human and our finite nature desperately needs. We need to rest and recover I had a neighbor growing up. He was a boilermaker, hardworking man, but he was obsessed with piling up hours in his union so that he could cash in on his pension early. It was like his, his only goal in life. It was all he would ever talk about. And he worked 12-hour days, seven days a week, for just a little bit over 20 years, and a little bit after working for 20 years, he got to retire before the age of 50, He had worked himself completely to the point of exhaustion, even to the point where a mere month after he had retired, he had a complete total breakdown. He lost the ability to work and he lost the ability to enjoy his retirement. This signified for me that the body was made to need rest. And there's something mysterious about the way that God has ordered his world that we need days of rest, not just sleeping for a number of hours each night. No, embedded deep in who we are, we actually need a day of rest. Following God's pattern one in seven, we all need this. Now, of course, there are lines of work where there is, this is not possible, jobs that people pursue. 
people who work to protect others, who work to administer healing to others, who respond to emergencies. All of these are necessary, and oftentimes we meet Christians who are in these lines of work. And these kinds of people often need to work on Sundays. But if we think about it, if we're honest with ourselves, isn't it also true that a lot of the working that has become a seven days a week kind of thing is a result of people worshiping money rather than God, people needing to advance in their career, people needing to cushion their bank account. It's ironic then that as God's people assemble for worship each Sunday morning, a commandment might ring in our ears or the teaching from Jesus where he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Thus, the idea of one day in seven gives God's people a chance to declare something, declare something to a watching world. And what we declare is this, that we are laying up treasures in heaven, that that is what is truly valuable to us, the kingdom of God and all of the things that come along with it. God commanded us to set apart a day, one in seven, to make it holy to separate it, to set it apart. It is a day which is holy. Not only is it a day which is holy, it is a sign. It is significant, right? It is sign-like. In Exodus 31, we have a passage where God commands Israel to keep the Sabbath again. We read there, this is Exodus 31, 16 and 17. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. It was to be a sign of the covenant between God and his people. This word for sign, the Hebrew word for sign, is one that derives from another ancient word which really means beacon. A beacon is a bright light that often hangs in a prominent place to shine a light on something important or as a warning to call attention to something. Perhaps you've noticed recently, if you're driving along Interstate 94, the the South Holland water tower just had a couple of really bright lights installed that now shine on it. You can see it from miles coming from the city, this bright light shining on the South Holland water tower. And the mayor and, and the leadership of This town, this village wanted that because they wanted to send a message to everyone driving down Interstate 94 that they want the reputation of South Holland to be that of a village which is about faith and family and future. That's the the water tower where there's the praying hands in South Holland, community of faith, family, and future. That's a beacon. That's a beacon light. It's declaring to everyone who's driving down Interstate 94, that that's what that town is about. And the Sabbath is a beacon for God's people to the rest of the world. It's the way that we show that we have a covenant with God. It's the way that we show that we worship the God of this covenant. It's on this day that God reminds us of the covenant and he renews the covenant that he has made with us. It's a bright light that sends a signal to a watching world. And insofar as it is a sign of the covenant, we need to see that it's not only threads of creation that inform the way that we think about the Sabbath day, but also redemption. Redemption as well as creation. In Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments are restated for us. 
And there, the fourth commandment, we do not have the grounding in the creation story, right? In Deuteronomy 5, Israel receives the Ten Commandments, and it's not that they are to keep Sabbath because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. In Deuteronomy 5, God says, Observe the Sabbath because you were slaves in Egypt, and I redeemed you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God redeemed his people. So what we can conclude is that the Sabbath was a time to recall that God was their Savior. That's one of the important things about the Sabbath. It was there that they found motivation for serving and worshiping God. Why should we serve this God? He brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. But in that commandment, there is this tension, isn't there? Because the Mosaic Covenant, where we find this expression and commandment of the Sabbath, that was not the final piece of the puzzle in God's redemption. There was still something else that needed to happen, wasn't there? It was pointing forward to something. For the Sabbath was celebrated when for Israel? When did Israel celebrate the Sabbath? On Saturday, right? It was a seventh day Sabbath. They were to image what God had done in creation, work, and then rest. Rest was laid out for them at the end of the week. This was what Adam was supposed to do in Genesis. He was created by God, perfect, sinless, put in the garden, eternal blessedness held out to him and offered to him. If he could attain to the Sabbath rest which God had placed in front of him, but he didn't. He failed. He did not banish the serpent out of the garden. And so after Adam is fallen into sin, the Sabbath pattern, work for six weeks and work for six days and rest for one day, is a pattern of frustration. It was a story of human beings always falling short, never getting to that rest laid out for us at the end of the week, always being caught in cycles of failure, a constant cycle of failure. It sounds like uh, my efforts to become a great golfer, constant cycles of failure. This was the problem with seventh-day Sabbaths, working and then resting. The problem was that it was caught in the space between God being a redeemer for his people and his people not being able to image their God week in and week out, having faithful service that he had laid down for them in creation. But in Christ, in Christ, what do we have? We talk about this a lot, that Jesus is the second or the last Adam, that Jesus in many ways is the representative of Israel, The one who comes along and is faithful for them and is faithful for us in ways they never could have been and in ways we never could have been and in ways only Jesus could be. Jesus tempted and tried in the wilderness. The one who stood up to all the wiles of the devil. He went down to Egypt and he came back up and he never sinned once. This is Jesus, the second Adam, the true Israel. And he did all of this to bring about a new understanding of the Sabbath that would be nothing short of revolutionary for the people of God. That would completely change the way that they live their lives on the earth. In various places in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus, there is this strange idea of an eighth-day Sabbath. A Sabbath that is after a seventh-day Sabbath. A couple examples of this I'll use, I'll mention just two. In Leviticus chapter 23, 
Israel was commanded to observe what was called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was to be celebrated after seven full weeks had passed from a different feast. So seven weeks, seven full weeks, seven groups of sevens. We see the idea of fullness or or perfection coming out of that. Seven sevens. And after that, on the 50th day after this certain other feast, the day after the seventh Sabbath, there was to be a great feast and a time of celebrating and to thanking God for his provision. Two chapters later in Leviticus 25, there's this idea of a jubilee year, which is the same kind of thing, but uh, not in days, it's in years. Every 50th year in Israel, there was to be a year of jubilee, a year celebrating redemption because it had been a pattern of seven sevens, right? Seven weeks of years, 49 years, and the 50th was to be a true Sabbath year. The point of all of that is to point us to something more. It's to point us to the fact that one day, this pattern of working and then resting, six days of work and then rest, that God's people would move beyond this pattern. One day that would be completed. That one day after a full number of weeks had passed, there would be a first day of the week. A first day of the week that would usher in true And final rest. Rest from the cycles of frustration and failure that had plagued God's people for so long. Surely you probably see how we're trying to bring Christ into this. Because when Jesus passed the test for us. When Jesus came as the second Adam in true Israel. When he lived his life of perfect obedience. He was killed. Crucified. Right as The Jewish work week came to an end. Friday evening, he was, to the shock of all of his followers, dead. Jesus Christ killed Friday. And the next day, his body was laying in the tomb. It was a Sabbath. It was a seventh-day Sabbath, wasn't it? It was the last of the seventh-day Sabbaths when Jesus Christ was lying there in the tomb because the next day at dawn, God raised him from the dead on that glorious day to a new life. And thus, the centerpiece of our life to God, the only way that we can understand this commandment of Sabbath rest, the crucial aspect of the way that we live our lives in covenant with God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For he attained the rest that we never could. He entered into that peace and eternal bliss with God that... That And what he did by that, he did for us in his life and in his death. And so all of our worship now is to be centered around the resurrection of Christ. Why is the Lord's Day Sabbath on the first day? Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the first day of the week. He laid in the tomb on the last of the seventh day Sabbaths. The next morning as he was raised to new life was the first of the Lord's Day Sabbaths on the day of resurrection. Thus, the pattern for us has shifted and it revolutionizes the way that God's people live their lives on earth. The Sabbath is a gift from God, but it is a gift of liberty, isn't it? Because Jesus Christ sets us free from the cycles of failure, the cycles of sin and death, from which we could never break ourselves free. 
Jesus Christ is our gift of liberty. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ's resurrection was a verdict from God the Father saying that Christ was just, justified, and all those whom he represents are set free from the patterns of sin and death. It revolutionizes our life before God because now we rest before we work. Rather than working for six days and resting for one, The New Covenant Church worships the Lord Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. We rest in our triune God and all that he does for us before we work. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel and assurance that everything that you need for life, eternal life and salvation is found in your Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who has done it all for us. It revolutionizes our life before God because not only on Sunday do we live in light of this beautiful truth but we work in freedom every day on Monday morning when we set out to work in a new week there is uh, the shadow of the Lord's Day Sabbath cast over our lives cast over our week thus as we set about our responsibilities all the things that we have to do on Monday morning what are we remembering We are remembering that we do not have to attain our standing before God. We are remembering that Christ has conquered sin and death. We are remembering that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. He has fulfilled the law on our behalf. He was faithful and obedient for his week of testing. He entered into Sabbath rest and he assures us that he, because of what he has done, welcomes us into that rest as well. We work in freedom every day. We enter into new creation life every day as we walk by faith, trusting in Christ. He has fulfilled the sixth day, the seventh day, Sabbath, and he welcomes us in to first day, Sabbath rest. God's law never changes. God's law stays the same. But we worship on the Lord's day, the day of resurrection, because in the gospel. The Christian life lived before God is one of freedom, liberty, assurance, and joy. That in Christ, he gives us this day so that we can be assured that everything that we need for eternal life has been accomplished for us. And so as we set about our week, we can then go and do it in freedom and liberty, knowing that by the Spirit, he guides us along and reminds us that Christ is the one who has attained true Sabbath rest for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your law. But we thank you that the voice of the law has been silenced by Jesus Christ. So may we live out of gratitude for what you have done. May we come back to your commandments and Keep them joyfully, Father, in a world which rejects the idea of law and obedience, which rejects virtue, which rejects prudent living. Father, make us those who live for your honor and glory, sober-minded, aware of what's going on in this present age. Thank you for the gift of this day where we rest in you and are assured of your good gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join together in song.
singing number 393, Come Let Us Join with One Accord. Let's stand together, sing all four verses. 